It's so wonderful to see you guys. Welcome to Servants Church. If it's your first time, welcome. If it's your 21st time, welcome. If it's your 1,000th time, welcome. We love to have you here. And we, we just pray that you're, yeah, just pray that God's going to come speak to you today. Hope you're feeling encouraged and welcomed. Um, yeah, and I just hope, my prayer is that you're really ready just to receive from God. I think so many times we can come to church and it's just the thing. We sing some songs, we listen to a message, but, and we forget that actually this is where God, the God who made heaven and earth, wants to come and meet with us today. Like he's a God who is willing. He's a God that wants to come and change your life. Uh, and my prayer is that you would believe that. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and years and that fire's kind of going cold. You're kind of thinking, is God really still going to work? Well, my prayer for you today is that God will come and speak to you. My prayer is that, you know, we'll be encouraged as a congregation to want to live lives for Jesus because we know what Jesus has done for us. And if you're, if you're new here or if you don't really know Jesus or you're kind of figuring out this Jesus stuff, we pray that today that your heart will be open. I pray that your ears will be ready to listen, that you'll be able to really think about actually what we're talking about. Why do we, why do we as Christians say what we say? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we want to live a certain way? What is the point? Is it just to be good people? Is it just to be nice? Or is it actually because we believe that Jesus has given everything for us? So that's our welcome. And I haven't even started the timer because that wasn't even an introduction. That was just, that was just talking. Oh. Anyway, there we go. We started. Well, so today we're going to be uh, looking um, at Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 24. So if you find it in your Bible, if you don't know where Philippians is, uh, use the contents page. Uh, some people feel so embarrassed by you don't know where their books in the Bible are. The contents page is there for a reason. Um, if you find it and you're looking for the big two, which is the chapter, and then the little 19, which is the verse number. So that's where we're starting. Um, and while you're finding that, I'll just give a little bit of context. So in our passage today, this is a letter from the New Testament that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul. He's writing it from prison. That's quite a key thing to remember. He's not with the church. That's why he's writing them a letter. He's in prison at the moment. Um, and we're kind of starting halfway through the chapter. But just earlier in the chapter, we see Paul is talking to the Philippian church. He's encouraged them. This is how you should live out your life as Christians. This is how you should live out your faith. And he says, in order to live out your faith, this is the example you should follow. And it's an example from Jesus. It shows how Jesus was a very sacrificial um, and humble uh, servant to, to all of us. And then Paul then goes on to talk about a guy called Timothy. And he's who we're going to be looking at today, Timothy and his example. This isn't just travel plans, as some people might think, where Paul just says, I'm going to go and send you Timothy, and this is why. It's not just about travel plans. But in, in our passage, we see that Paul kind of lists Timothy's credentials. We see from the passage, we see what kind of a person Timothy is. And we're going to see how Timothy's example demonstrates what a Jesus-centered life looks like among believers. And from that, and from Timothy's example, we're going to learn how to practically live out a Jesus-centered life in our church, in our congregation, through loving and serving one another. I forgot to say, if I'm speaking too fast, tough luck, sorry, that's how I speak. Um, but <laughs> there is handouts on your seats as well. Uh, sorry, it's a bit of an eye test because I wanted to cram a lot on. But follow along on the handouts. Um, you feel I'm going too quick. Um, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to look practically how to live out that Jesus-centered life from Timothy's example how actually our relationships should function, how we should function in the church by loving one another, serving one another, meeting with one another. It's going to be this, hopefully, it's hopefully going to be very challenging. Hopefully, it's going to be very practical. And I know how some, some of you might feel when you hear like, oh my goodness, it's all about practical stuff and serving and loving. Some of you might be sitting there cringing in your seats thinking, oh my goodness, I hope Rory doesn't look at me because I'm really bad at serving or I feel like I just don't love people the way I'm meant to do. You feel like nothing you ever do is good enough. And if you're feeling that way, this, is, this isn't a message to condemn you and to beat you over the head and say, do better, you're doing rubbish. This is a message to encourage us. 
to see that actually we all struggle. We all struggle with our sin. We all struggle in the way that we don't love people the way that we're meant to. This is a message meant to encourage us in moving towards Jesus as a church, moving towards a a Christ-centered life as a church. So hopefully this is going to be practical. Hopefully it is going to be challenging. I don't want to condemn you. Hopefully that doesn't come across. But I want us to be challenged. I want us to be provoked. I want us to think about, actually, how are we living in this church? How do we love the people around us? How do we treat the people around us? How do we respond, not only to Jesus, but to Jesus' people? And this is one of the key things, right? And I want to I want to start with this. Um, I want to start with this, which is the most important thing that we need to recognise, especially when looking at Timothy's example, is that the fact that Timothy is only a good example because he put Jesus first. He started from a place of knowing what Jesus did, knowing how Jesus gave everything for him to give him to free him from his sin, to give him a new life. so that he can then love others. If we don't grasp, if we don't know, we don't recognize what Jesus has done for us in the way that Jesus gave up everything. He gave up the riches of eternal heaven, eternal love, to step down into this world. If we, to take on our sin, to take on our shame, our punishment, to die on a cross for us, if we don't grasp how Jesus has loved and served us first, if we don't start from that place of, I want to respond to Jesus because of what he's done, you're probably going to think of this message in two ways, which is, one, this is just a list of things I need to do to be a good churchgoer. Or two, think, why do I need to, why do I need to love God's people? Why do I need to respond? Why do I need to do anything? Because I don't know what Jesus has done for me, so why should I do anything for anyone else? And I want us just to take a, just take a moment to think, actually, what is it that Jesus has done? Are we starting from a place, are we recognizing our hearts, like, this is what Jesus has done for me, and this is why I should respond? Because James says, in the book of James, he says, faith without works is dead. Following Jesus requires a lived response. There should be something we do when following Jesus. It requires us to live out a response. But it has to start with knowing Jesus first and knowing what he has done. Because if we're just trying to live to serve, to impress others, or live to get good enough for God, we're going to fail and struggle because we're going to realize quickly that we're not good enough. If we don't start with Jesus, if we want to live and love and serve those around us, serve those in our church, we're going to realize that people are annoying. Me and Luke were chatting earlier about a book that he's reading about forgiving one another. And... To be honest, that kind of scared me, that book, because it would expose how much I don't forgive and how much I get frustrated with people. But if we don't start from knowing Jesus and responding to Jesus, we're going to struggle in loving the people around us. So on that note, I'm going to pray. We're going to read a passage, and then we're going to dive in. Sound good? Yes, I got one yes from John, so that's great. If John's on board, then that's good. <laughs> oh, Father God, just thank you for thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that we get to be here, that we get to hear your word, that we get to open up your word and see um, what you want to say, Lord. I thank you for godly examples like Timothy that have gone before us, Lord, in serving the gospel um, faithfully, Lord God. And I thank you that we can look to godly examples like Timothy, like Paul in the Bible, because you have changed their lives. You transformed their lives. Lord, thank you that godly examples are only good to follow because of the work that you've done in them and the way they point to you. Lord God, and I pray that you would help us to see what you've done for us, Lord. I pray that you would challenge us in the way that we live and serve those around us. But I pray, Lord, that we would also see that The way that we should love and serve is a response to what you have done by sending your son to die for us.
for freeing us from our sin and shame, for serving us in ways that we could not imagine and continuing to serve us as our high priest for all eternity. Lord, help us in our hearts to start from a place of knowing what you have done and desiring to live that out. Stir up that heart of desire to live out our faith towards you and your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Philippians 2, verses 19 to 24. starts this way. It says, this is Paul speaking to the church. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not the things of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord shortly. I myself will also come. So we're going to pull out four main things from this passage. Right. And the first thing that we can learn from Timothy's example is to share and celebrate God's work. When we look at verse 19, let's look at verse 19 again. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered of news by you. What is Timothy's role? Why is Paul sending Timothy to this church in Philippi? It's so Timothy can go over there, come back, and tell Paul of the good work that God is doing. His sole role and purpose that we see here is to go and bring back the news of what God is doing, and encourage Paul. And that gives us this first kind of challenge. Do we want to share what God is doing in our lives? Are we people that want to get excited when we see God doing something, when we see God answer prayer, when we see God uh, growing our, our, our youth ministries or our, our home groups, when we see God just working in the lives of people? Are we people that want to share that good news? Do we want to go and tell people, this is what God has done this week. This is how God has spoken to me this week. This is how God has, uh, has just done amazing things. I remember a little while ago, um, I, I do run the youth ministry. That's what I do for a job here at Servants. And a little while ago, uh, I was really sick. It was on a Friday morning. Um, youth was on a Friday night. And I was so sick that I actually had to say I was going to cancel youth. But Lydia and Jess and Bubba... They said, no, we'll go run youth for you. You just stay at home. I was thinking, oh, I'll just have a nap and I'll be better for later. But alas, I was not. But I didn't go to youth that week. And after youth, I, I asked Lydia, like, you know, what did you do at youth today? And Lydia told me this great thing that they did. They were looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And she was saying that they did a bit of an overview about some of them. Um, and what they got the kids to do is that they wrote, they gave them post-it notes and pens. Um, and they were to write down on these post-it notes what fruit of the Spirit they see in the other kids' lives. What fruit of the Spirit do they see God growing in their friends around them? So apparently they're all running around the hall just slapping each other with post-it notes left, right, and centre. All got things, but it's not just slapping each other. It's got things that say on their back. I see God growing joy in you. I see God growing love in you. I see God growing patience in you. And Lydia came back and excited to tell me, this is what God was doing. And me, who was sitting there sick and ill, and sometimes feeling like, you know what, I don't know why I do youth ministry anymore. It doesn't feel like anything's happening. I was encouraged to see and hear what was going on. I was encouraged to see the fact that God was at work in the lives of these kids. I was encouraged when uh, Lydia came back and said, this is what I have seen God doing. I have seen God in work. And what do I do? Praise God, I glorify God. I said, thank you, God, for the work that you're doing. Are we people that when we see God move, we want to share that news? Or do we just kind of keep it to ourselves? Do we just kind of palm it off as that was kind of nice, Lord? Do we see the good things of God? We need to be like Timothy, who shares and celebrates in God's work. And not only that, we need to be like Paul in this scenario as well. I know I said we're looking at Timothy's example, but guess what? We're looking at Paul as well. 
Because Paul, in this, why is he sending Timothy? Because he wants to know what's going on. He wants to be encouraged. He said, I am going to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by the news of you. Timothy was there to share the good news of God, share the work God was doing. And Paul was someone that said, I want to know. I just now got that song, I want to know, can you show me, from Tarzan stuck in my head. <laughs> Lord, help me not get distracted. But to, Paul wanted to know. Paul was disconnected. Paul was sat in prison. He could have literally said, you know, out of sight, out of mind. But he said, I want to know, what, I want to know what's happening in this church. And that challenges us. Do we care enough about the wider church to take time to find out what God is doing? Do we ask each other, do we ask people around us, what is God doing in your life? What is God doing in kids' ministry? What is God doing in your home group? There's so many home groups going on around here that I'm sure that God is doing a good work in all of them. Why am I sure of that? Because I know that God is a good God. But I know that because God's a good God. But I don't know that because I've asked them. I haven't asked the home group leaders. And that's a failure on my part, to ask and seek and say, what is God doing? Tell me the specifics, because I want to be encouraged. Do we ask about what God is doing? Do we want to know these things? Because when we don't share what God is doing, the good work, when we don't ask people, we don't ask each other, what is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your ministries? What is God doing around you? When we don't ask each other this, two things happen. We become disconnected as a church because it's all about what's happening to me. Not what's happening to others, what's happening to me. We become disconnected as a church and we become apathetic to anything that is happening outside of what God is doing to us. It seems like we, you know, we, get to, we can get to a place where we don't really care what God is doing in the things that don't involve us. And that's not a good place to be in. We should be a church that wants to share about the good news that, and the good works that God is doing. And we want to be a church that asks each other, that stirs each other up and says, what is God doing? Because this thing, when we do, when we find out these things, when we ask each other, when we share, we get encouraged and the church grows closer knit together. The church grows closer together because we all know what's going on. We move forward as a body towards Jesus. So that's the first thing. Do we want to share what God is doing, like Timothy? And do we care about the wider church to want to know what God is doing, like Paul? The second thing that we can learn from Timothy's example here is that we can learn to love God's people first. We can learn to love God's people first. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says this, he says, For I have no one like him, him being Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they, which means other people that he could send, other people, they all seek their own interests, the things that are of themselves, and they don't seek the things that are of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul has split people into two categories here. He's got the one group, people that look to their own self-interests. And he split them, that category there, and he's got the people that are like Timothy, people that look to the things of Jesus Christ, the things, someone who genuinely cares for the people of the church. And why is Paul split into two categories? Why is he split, you know, those that seek the things of Jesus and who genuinely care for what's going on and genuinely care for the people and those that seek their own interests? Well, what is the distinguishing mark of a believer? Um, it should be on the screen above. But the distinguishing mark of a believer is love. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. This is in John 13, 34 to 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Here's the key part. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our distinguishing mark as believers, the thing that Jesus says is going to make us known, is the love that we have for one another. And when we seek Jesus first, and when we seek and put him first, and when we seek to love him, that love overflows to others. Jesus says in John 15, verse 9 and 10, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. When we remain in Jesus' love and put him first, we keep his commandments. And what is his commandment? To love one another as he has loved us. And what is that love that Jesus shows to us that we should demonstrate to each other? It is a love that is sacrificial. One that says, yes, you know what, it's costly to love each other. It's co- it costs, it takes something out of my own life to give to someone else. Jesus loved us that way. He gave everything for us. It's a love that serves one another. And it says, you know what, I want to serve you. I want to, you know, I want to put you first. You know, Jesus said that, in, it says in Mark 10, 45, it says, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and give his life as a ransom for many. It is a love that puts other people before ourselves. And so this is the love that we should have for one another. This is the love that we should be pursuing. Not because, you know, not just for the sake of it, love for love's sake. It's because this is how Jesus has loved us. And this is how he says that we should love others. Like I said at the beginning, when we see how God has loved us, when we see how Jesus loved us, that should inspire us to love the people around us. And Paul puts Timothy in that category compared to the others. The other category is those that seek the interests of themselves. And this is the thing. When we like to think about like putting our own interests first, when we hear that kind of phrase, you know, looking to our self-interest, we like to kind of make it this really cartoony thing, like, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm going to put myself first. I care about me. I care about number one. I don't care about anyone else. I want everyone to serve me. Sometimes we can make it so cartoon and like this caricature of this is what self-interest looks like. When we say, I don't care about God's people. I don't care about what Jesus has done for me. I just want to receive. I just want to get. I just want people to make my coffee. I want people to serve my bringing chair lunch. Maybe serving, being served for bringing chair is good because then people don't get gluttonous and just stack up their plates. But it's this idea that sometimes when we think about our own self-interest, it's about this is what I want to get. You know, I want to look after myself. I want to think about myself. And it's really over-the-top way. And we do this because we like to detach ourselves from feeling like we look to our own self-interest. Oh, only caring about myself, that's not me. I care about others sometimes. Only wanting to be served, I do give up a little bit of time. But this is the thing that I want us to see, right? Is that Jesus wants us to love like he has loved us. Sacrificial, serving, putting others first. And that when we look to our self-interest, it's not this over-the-top, detachable way. It is a subtle thing. Sometimes when we say things like, or when we think things like, you know, in the coffee break, I'll go talk to my friends. You know, because I love my friends. And to be honest, it's kind of hard to meet new people. I don't really want to talk to new people because it's difficult. I'd rather just talk to someone I know because then I feel like I, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm receiving. I don't really want to take the time to get to know a new person. That's looking to your self-interest because you're saying I want to put my my good conversation first over the love of someone that is new and doesn't know anyone. It's like when we say things like. Yeah, I'll serve on kids' ministry, but I'm going to be really strict on it because I don't want to miss out on the, on the fellowship 
or I don't really want to miss out too many times on the sermon. That's good to have boundaries, but when we're putting that first and saying, actually, the reason that we're limiting our service is because I want to get served first, and I'm not going to help out. That's not that sacrificial serving love. It's when we say things like that, I will be willing to step in and help out, but I'll see if someone else will do it first. I do that all the time with a worship team. Sorry, Sammy and Abby. And this is the thing. I don't want you to sit there and think, oh, we're always just telling you off. Like, I do these things all the time. Granted, I went and chatted to Luke today. Luke's one of my really good friends. I could have chatted to someone new. Me and Luke had a really good Jesus-centered conversation. Does that make it right? I don't know. We'll leave that up to you to decide. But we do it all the time. It's this subtle thing. It's like, oh, I could serve. I could serve. It's not that I can't serve on a Sunday morning, but, you know... It just takes so much time to get out, especially with kids, and you know, especially when, I, or maybe I don't even have my car. I have to get up early and walk there. And that's not that's not me. It's not me saying these are bad, rubbish excuses. But it's when we use legitimate reasons to become our excuses forever. I don't have kids. I'm sure it is incredibly difficult to get your kids out on time, to get here to serve. But sometimes. I've spoken to a lot of parents over the years that have said that my kids are the most convenient excuse. And that's not to, that's not to, that's not to target parents. But it's to say sometimes, do we just think the hassle of doing things more or doing things earlier is not worth the cost of serving the wider body? Because when we do this, when we put ourselves first, rather than love and service of others, those that are, are loving and serving others, they get bitter. Paul says it like this, we are called to freedom, brothers, he says this in Galatians, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. We are free from just the works and trying to impress God by the way that we work, by try, trying to keep you know, this perfect standard. We have given grace, but we're not to use this grace to just say, yeah, I can do whatever I want, or that means I can get away with not serving. That means I can get away with just looking to myself. We are meant to love and serve one another because of that freedom. Because when not, we bite and devour each other. We get divided. We get frustrated. I cannot tell you the amount of times when I'm not thinking about Jesus and putting him first that I get bitter about the people that I think should be serving more. Or when I'm, you know, and this isn't to try and make me look like a saint by saying, oh, I serve loads. But I, I get that. I get the disappointment at times. I say I'm just bitter because I'm not putting Jesus first. I'm not wanting to love and serve his people because I feel like I'm not getting loved and served. And sometimes you might feel that way. You guys might feel that way. But this is the thing. When we're both, all of us together are looking to love and serve each other first, we meet the needs of the people and we have our needs met. John did a whole series on the one another commands. And this is the thing that really frustrates me sometimes about one another's commands. Is that a lot of the time we like to just think of ourselves as the receivers. A one another command is a double, it's like a coin. We're meant to be those that love and those that be loved. We're meant to be those that serve and those that be served. We're meant to be, um, you know, those that pray for people and those that get prayed for. When we, when we love and serve each other like Jesus did, when we put each other first, people will put us first and then together we move towards Jesus and the way that Jesus wants as a church. But when we're not doing this, we look to our own interests. We look to what suits me, what's comfortable for me. And we end up getting divided. We end up feeling, I'm not being satisfied by my church. I'm not being served by my church. You know, I always think of it like this. Me and Josh, we have a cleaning arrangement in our house. 
He cleans the bathroom, I clean the kitchen. It's the way it's always been. If I don't clean the kitchen because I don't think Josh should clean the bathroom, he's going to look and say, I'm not going to clean the bathroom because he's not cleaning the kitchen. And then what do we do? We sit there in a huff with each other in this Mexican standoff of cleaning. Who's going to clean first? And then when we, do, when we do clean, it's out of bitterness towards one another because it's like, well, maybe if I do this, then he will get on and do it. But when I, when I clean the kitchen, because I see Josh has cleaned the bathroom, cleans the bathroom, because he's seen I clean the kitchen, we move because we serve in one another, we're loving one another. When we put each other first as a church, we should be inspired to put each other first as a church. And by that, we are fulfilling that command of love one another as I have loved you. So think, are we looking to just be loved, be served, just to be the receivers? Or are we looking to be those that love and love, get loved? Receive and give. Third thing that we can learn is this is that we can learn to be an example for others. It says this in verse 22. It says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Other versions might say proven character. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. How did they know about Timothy? What did they know about him? They knew him because of his example of how he served in the gospel. How... He was known because of the way that he served with Paul, how he committed to that life of service, committed to saying, this is what Jesus has done, and I want to live out that faith. And that characterizes life. And the Philippian church, they knew who Timothy was because of that life that he demonstrated. I want us to think about uh, the church in uh, Thessalonica. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians... Verses 6 to uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. And, uh, I'm, if you don't, haven't turned there, it should be on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I like the way it paraphrases it and talks about it. It says, So you, this is the Thessalonians, you have received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. This is Paul writing again. And as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece, throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us, how you turned away from your idol to learn, serve the living and true God, and how they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued you from the terrors of the coming judgment. This is a church that was known to all the believers in Greece and Macedonia and all these areas. Why? Because of the way that they pursued Jesus even in suffering, even in the midst of something that should have turned them away from saying, you know what, I don't really want to receive, uh, I don't really want to receive Jesus because look at all the suffering that I'm going to have to go through. But he said, no, even though we're being persecuted, we are going to follow Jesus because he transforms our lives. And that became an example to everyone around them. So much so that Paul didn't have to go around preaching anymore. He would preach in other areas, but to those areas because they already knew what was going on. They were examples to the believers. And we are meant to be those that inspire and be examples to those around us to follow Christ. And we're also meant to be people that are inspired by the people around us. And again, if we want to inspire people by the way that we follow Christ or be inspired, we need to go back to our first couple of points as well. Share, asking what God is doing. Sharing what God is doing. Loving and serving one another. 
And it says this in Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We are meant to be those that point each other to Jesus. We're meant to look at each other and say, I see what God is doing in your life, and I want to be more like that. Paul said it so many times in various different letters. He keeps saying, you know, imitate me as I imitate God. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow the godly examples that you have around. Not because they were great people, they were cool people, but because they were people that made Christ known. They are people that made Christ known. Do we want to be those people that want to live out that example of Christ to inspire others? Are we inspired by the people around us to follow Christ? And how do we do this? How, how, do, we do, how do we? How do we live out that gospel-centered life, that Jesus-centered life? How do we become that example? Well, Paul says this later on in Philippians, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this, nor already am perfect. It's meaning that kind of glorious end state where he doesn't sin. He's saying, I still struggle. I'm not perfect. But I press on to make it my own. I press on towards that perfection. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If we want to be examples we've got to see that Jesus has made us his own. Jesus is the one that transforms our life, and we've got to press on towards him. When we start by saying, this is what Jesus has done for me, I want to press on to the, you know, to the good things that Jesus has got for me. I want to press on to be more like him. It's not, by, it's not just by works that we become less sinful. It is the Holy Spirit inside of us, but we've got to be active. We've got to be active as well. It's the Holy Spirit and us working together. We press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. And when we do this, when we become these examples, when we press on to be like Christ, what happens? We get built up into God's temple, God's church. We get built up by one another. Like that verse says, iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I was reading when Sammy was talking about, uh, I say talking, he was singing. He was singing about Cornerstone, and it, it brought me to this verse in, um, in, in 1, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. It says, You're coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. We as a church are being built up into God's people. We're built up into God, you know, the body of Christ. We are being built together. And when we're pursuing Christ in our personal lives and demonstrating it to others and we're being inspired, we all move together towards Jesus. You know, we're, meant, we're called to be a body, not just like dismembered parts. You don't say, oh, I'm so thankful I am the toenail and I will be the toenail but I don't want to be part of the toe. No one likes just a toenail that's on its side. You know when you clip your nails and you, you know when like you're, you're walking around, you're like, oh my goodness, there is someone's fingernail on the floor. No one likes that. No one wants to just look at dirty fingernails. Fingernails are meant to be part of the body. It's where they belong. And I'm sorry if you feel like I'm now calling you dirty fingernails. That's not my intention. They're actually very nice-looking fingernails. But, sidetrack. But the point is that, is that the fingernails are meant to be attached to the finger, which is attached to the knuckle, which is attached to a hand. 
We're meant to be this body growing together as a body. It would be weird if your body just grew at different rates. I don't really know much biology. But, like, imagine if one foot grew really fast and then the other just stayed small. Or imagine if, like, one arm grew really long before the other one got time to catch up. We're meant to move and grow together. And we're meant to push each other to grow more, push each other towards Christ. Because that is what loving and serving one another is. If we want to love and serve one another and encourage each other with our examples, we need to do the fourth point, which is this. It's that we can learn from Timothy and Paul to value and pursue intentional relationships. Oh, my back just cracked. I'm getting old. Anyway. We can learn from Timothy and Paul to value and pursue intentional relationships. That is the last thing that we're going to see, is this. When you look at it, in verse, verse 23, no, yeah, verse 23 to 24, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I shortly will come also. Both Timothy and Paul, they're not with the Philippian church, that's why they're writing a letter. If you wanted to have a conversation with someone, you wouldn't write them a letter and just hand it and then stare at them like this and wait till they have... Sorry, Luke, I'm staring you right in the eyes there. But you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't just write a letter to someone there and then and just look at them until they've read it. No, they were disconnected. They were far away. They, you know, the people that um, have looked into this, they say that Paul was probably in Rome, which is quite a long way from Philippi. And it's a long way to travel. It's a long way to send Timothy. He can't just hop on an easy jet, pop there, walk off with his suitcases. Doesn't have a car, because it's the ancient times. It's a massive sacrifice for Timothy to go to this church. It's a sacrifice for Paul to say, I will need to go to this church. But this is the thing I really want us to see, is that the sacrifice of time and travel and energy that did not compare to how valuable they saw face-to-face ministry, face-to-face fellowship. They saw it so more valuable and important to be with God's people face-to-face. Timothy could have just brought back a letter. They could have just got a letter, read it, and said, cool, that church is doing well. But no, they said, I, even though I'm in prison, I want to be with you. And there are reasons that you know, there are reasons in our lives that sometimes we can't meet with God's people. Maybe it's our shift patterns. Maybe it's the fact that actually our car has broken down. Maybe it is, you know, um, like elderly relatives that we're looking after. Whatever it is, there are legitimate reasons why sometimes we can't meet with God's people. But the thing is, do we still have a desire? Do we still have a desire to meet with God's people? When we're separated from them, do we think, actually, this is really rubbish that I'm not with God's people and I'm so desperate to be with them. I would love to be with them even though I can't. Or we kind of like, oh man, I'm thankful that this thing came up and I don't actually have to go to home group tonight. Or I'm thankful that actually, uh, I'm kind of thankful that I don't really have to go to church because I get a lion. Are we growing in desire to want to be with God's people? Do we see the sacrifice of travel and time and effort? Do we see those sacrifices as worthy sacrifices? Or do we just see them as that's a convenient excuse? Do we see that as a thing of saying, oh, well, it's kind of good that I don't really have to go. The author of Hebrews, he challenges us this way in saying this. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We're meant to stir one another up in love. 
We're meant to stir one another up in good works, and that works best when we are face to face, when we can see it in people's eyes. So, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. And we do that face to face. We grow in love for one another. You know, Jesus, he spent so much time with his disciples, investing with them. Day to day, being with them, praying with them, eating with them. You know, when Zacchaeus was up in the tree, the wee little man he was. What did Jesus say? Jesus didn't say, oh, it's nice to see you up in the tree. He said, get down. Come here, I must eat at your house today. Jesus was a bit pushy in that way, but it was good because it was what Zacchaeus needed. Jesus didn't just say, okay, I'll, I'll shout at him in the tree. And in fact, I want to go and be in his house with him. I want to eat with him. Even though he's someone that Jesus, should Jesus have, you know, the religious leaders would have said, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with him. He's a tax collector, a sinner. Jesus said, no, I want to be with him. I want to be in his house. Do we have that desire for each other? You know, and this is the thing. Do we, do we just seek church and see church as just a Sunday morning friendship with people? Or are we seeking each other out? We have home groups all over the city. Do we see the value of weekly meeting, you know, with fellow believers? Do we see the importance of like, oh, yes, you know, I'll go to adoration this week, even though it's an effort to travel all the way across the city, I'll go. Why? Because I'm meeting with God's people, I'm praising him, I'm praying, and I'm worshipping him. Do we see that as more valuable than the time it takes to drive there? That's what I want us to think about. And also just one more thing to think about is this. Something I've been really convicted on is that when we're seeing each other during the week or when we're spending time with each other as believers, how often are our conversations Jesus-centered? I can't tell you the amount of times that I've just gone to the coffee break and I've not mentioned Jesus once to people because I'm like, oh, this is a really convenient place to get to hang out with people and see the people that I'm too busy to see during the week. But we're believers, we're meant to be stirring one another up in love and good works. And sometimes we put the guise of, oh, it's fellowship, which is true, it is. But also other friends, other people that are non-Christians just hang out with their friends. Is it really fellowship if we're not stirring one another up and you know, bringing Jesus into our conversations, praying for people? Do we just meet up with our fellow Christians, our fellow brothers, and just say, and sisters, and just say, even just like, let's just pray. Let's just see what's going on. Let's just seek God. Let's turn our eyes towards what, you know, what Jesus is doing in our lives and encourage one another. Timothy and Paul, they saw this need to be with them, to encourage them. And are we willing to sacrifice that time and effort to meet with God's people? Because we see the value in doing that. So these are the four points. And up on the screen and on your handout is four challenge points. And not only are they challenge points, they're giving you action points as well because I really care about you guys. Four points that are to do with all the things that we've talked about. And four action points of how we can pursue this as a church. Are we those that want to share and ask about the work God is doing? Is the first one. Who can we ask or share with this week about the work that God is doing? Second one is, are we waiting to be served and loved, or are we seeking ways to serve and love those around? And what ways can we actively love and serve God's people this week? Number three, do we desire to be examples of Jesus to those around us? What ways can we encourage people back towards Jesus this week? And do we see the value of pursuing God's people intentionally? And how can we seek God's people this week? Maybe giving an evening to home group, giving someone a call, praying, inviting someone over for dinner, 
How are we going to live this out as a church? And I'm going to wrap up with this, because I know that you've listened well, and I've got kind of going on, but it's all good stuff. But I'm going to wrap up with this, as what I said at the beginning as well. The first important thing to recognize is that this cannot be done in our own strength. Without looking to Jesus first and seeing how he loves and transforms us, how he has done these things for us, how we respond, not, we don't do these things for Jesus or just, just for his people, but we respond because of what he has done. If we don't do that, if we don't see how Jesus has first done these things for us, that list above me is just going to be a list of do's things that we need to do to be better churchgoers. It's about doing this because Jesus loves us and he's given us everything. And this is the command that he has given us to love his church, his people, just the way he has loved this. So the worship team, they're going to come back up and we're going to head to the Lord's table together. And so the final parting thing and communion, they're going, to do, they're going to play a song. And as we do, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to come and, uh, as we feel led, to get the bread and the wine. And this is a thing, communion is a thing that is for believers. The Bible is clear that this is something that those that have put their faith in Jesus do. And I want to ask us, before we go, is this, if you're not a believer here, if you're not someone that has put their faith in Jesus, um, we ask that you, you, know, you don't take communion because this is for believers. But that doesn't stop you from accepting Jesus today and saying, I want to know more about this Jesus. I see that his people may be sinful and messy, but he's someone that's worth following. I want to ask you that question and say, do you know what Jesus has done for you? And if you do, if you know what Jesus has done, if you're like, yes, I want to know more about Jesus, I want to give my life to Jesus because I see how he's loved me first, pray that prayer in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I see what you've done for me. I thank you and I want to live in response. And for those of us that are Christians, I want us to think of this. Do the way that we live our Christian lives uh, I want us to think of this. Do you live your Christian life in response to Jesus or just because it's what you should do? So the worship team are going to sing this song. We'll hold the cup and the wine and then uh, partake together at the end.